Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank. Paul, uh, Paul, take two. Sorry again for uh, the mishap, but we got to figure it out. Paul, can you please introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Sure. My name is Paul Trejo. Um, I've had a website about uh, JFK called CIA did not kill JFK.org. So that's all one word. Had it for about five years with Jason Ward. Um, we met, we hooked up at the John Simkin Education Forum online, which had a lot of heavy hitters uh, with regard to the JFK uh, assassination, uh, including at one point, Jerry Patrick Hemming. He was, he was a member. I, I came on after, uh, after Hemming uh, passed, but, uh, but I was on there for many years, uh, going on, I don't know, easily seven years. And I posted thousands of posts and it got really no support or traction except for from one guy, Jason Ward, student at Arizona in Arizona. So he built this website. Jason Ward built this website for me. So I really appreciate it. So that's what, and what I have there is I have a, an explanation of what role I think General Walker played in the JFK assassination. I think it's central. Now, you don't think Oswald killed JFK, do you? I do not. I, I think that Oswald was involved in a conspiracy okay. to kill JFK. So I don't think he was a shooter. No. But they got his rifle somehow. And it was from him. Almost Jerry Patrick Hemming uh, told uh, oh, oh, A.J. Weber that he, his opinion was that uh, Somebody told Oswald that they would give him double the price of his Manlicher Carcano if he brought it to work the, the next day. You know, here, how can you some cash for it, right? Uh, and he trusted this person. Whoever this person was, Oswald just said, oh, okay. Didn't think twice about the fact that JFK was coming through town tomorrow, right? He just said, okay, I'll do it. So that's... And then when he when when Oswald was walking with his package under his arm to uh, work the, uh, the next morning, right? Uh, and um, curtain rod Fraser and Wesley Fraser saw him, uh, you know, with that package. But when he entered the building, no witnesses saw him with the package. In my view, that means Oswald handed off his package right outside the door of the uh, Texas School Book Depository. And he handed his rifle to somebody, and that was his fault. That was his big fault. Otherwise, I think he was pretty dumb. When it comes to uh, the Walker shooting, a lot of your information reached out because you talked about Walker. Um, I just, I do believe I thought it was the CIA for the longest time that killed uh, JFK, but I just think diving into it the past couple of months, I've kind of leaned away from that a little bit and kind of dived into the mafia a little bit, but also nixon's involvement i mean i had a guy who defended nixon in watergate 
on my show and I asked him about the 18 minutes of tape. I asked him three times, was it the Kennedy assassination? He ignored me all three times. I even said, stop ignoring me and answer the question because it's that's a theory that's out there. But what I started to notice was that it was an overall chain reaction of events. And I always bring up to this aspect whenever someone mentions Lee Harvey Oswald, they go, well, he shot at Walker before. I think there's ample evidence to show that it's not the same scenario, though. I I would say mostly different political views between Walker and Kennedy. And then if you look at the scenario, there are witness accounts of seeing two people, not one, which doesn't fit the description of a loner. So then if you say it was Oswald, did he have help with JFK? I just think there's these grounds where things can add up to a point and then there are these little things what get labeled as coincidences and i'm like jesus in 63 there were more than our fair share of coincidences right right well the thing is about with, with regard to the walker shooting okay so walker was probably the ringleader of the extreme right wing in dallas because he was a resigned general uh, army general he was the only U.S. Army general ever to resign in the 20th century. Okay, so that's pretty rare, and so that deserves looking at more carefully too. Now, did Kennedy force his resignation? No, no, no. Kennedy offered him another job, but see, what people don't know much about is that that was Walker's second resignation when he was um, uh, uh, working for, put it that way, uh, President Eisenhower. Uh, right there uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, defending uh, the right of integration, um, he 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 decided at a certain point, I think communicating with far right people there in Arkansas, probably that did it. He sub- he said that he believed that racial segregation was uh, normal and that racial integration was communist. That was his belief, right? And that the Russians were trying to divide America by this racial integration uh, program. So he tended to believe that. And since he believed that, then he had to believe that Washington, D.C. was filled with communists. So the same uh, McCarthy era type thing, right? Communists everywhere. And not only there, but like the John Birch Society, even in the White House, ever since FDR, every President, U.S. president has been a communist. That, that was their belief. And so based on this belief, he said, I can't work. You know, under these conditions, I resigned. He sent his resignation to Eisenhower. Eisenhower got it, called him, called the general, said, denied. I'm sending you to uh, Augsburg, Germany, where you're going to defend the Berlin Wall with 10,000 troops and their families under your command. Yes, sir. And he took the job. But so, but after he was there, not long, he started up his jo- uh, uh, pro blue program that had nothing to do with anything. Nobody cared. Generals didn't care. JFK didn't care. Nobody really cared. What they what mattered was the U.S. Army newspaper called the Overseas Weekly began to spy on General Walker just out of the blue, right? That's what it seemed like perhaps to him because he'd never been spied on before. So what were they looking for? Basically, they said, this is a guy who's 50 years old. He's a U.S. general. He's very high placed, okay? And he's never 
He's not married. But more than that, he doesn't have a girlfriend. And more than that, nobody has ever seen him with a girlfriend ever, literally ever. They're not just in, in the military, but also uh, at West Point. He just didn't have a girlfriend. So they began to spy on him. Go ahead. I was about to say, I, I read a statement from Marina when she asked about Oswald taking a shot at Walker. Um, she asked the question, was he married? And she and it says in the statement, he she was relieved that he did not have a wife, a girlfriend, or any kids. Mm -hmm. Because of the heartbreak, right? That was her view. She was a family person. She was caring for her children. She didn't know what she was into. But I think that she felt sorry for any mother that lost their children or any family that lost their children. So um so anyway i just think that that was probably her emotions i i personally believe that marina oswald knew probably nothing at all about the jfk assassination nothing of any kind she was she was trying to learn english and he wouldn't let her she had to take care of one child and he mostly had no job no insurance and most of the time no money right so that was his regular status so she was worried about that trying to you know, that was her focus. So um, his focus was was something else. But um, get, getting back to Walker, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you asked if JFK fired him. And I'm giving you the long story. I apologize, but I'll, I'll just oh, make it ahead. brief. OK, so so the Overseas Weekly newspaper is spying on Walker to basically see if he's going to any gay places. He, another thing was he left the base for every uh, uh, officer gathering, right? That was odd. You know, generals generally, well, they generally had their wives and they generally stayed on base, right? Uh, but uh, not Walker. He was just like vanished. So they started to spy on him and he sued them in civil court. He said, What the hell is this? How, how you dare you? You know, in civil court in, in Augsburg, Germany, he sued them and he won, right? They were so pissed. They were so pissed because probably they had some dirt on them or whatever. But, you know, the, the Joint Chiefs or, or the European generals said, you, you don't, you know, you don't use that stuff. We're not going to allow that. This is the Cold War. We're not going to make them scandal here in, in Europe. What's the matter with you? OK, so uh, but the Overseas Weekly said we're going to get even. And they did. So they published. The next issue, the next weekend issue, they published a full front page, a full center page, all these articles about uh, Walker being a member of the John Birch Society, right? And he's teaching John Birch stuff, right? And now this is not a, it's not a, a homo uh, scandal uh, of 1961. This would have been 1961. It was not a homosexual army scandal type thing. It was very mild compared to that, but still it was a scandal. And that, and I mean, the whole army saw it, and of course, Washington, D.C. saw it. And, and the very same day that that publication came out, Walker was removed from his post by the general staff. Why? Because they did not want a scandal in Europe during the Cold War. What's the matter with these kids? Just, you know, calm down. And it, General Walker, if you can't get along with a U.S. Army newspaper, then we can't trust you on that post. So um, according to uh, the sources, he, he was told to resign. We'll accept your resignation, right? Because he was gonna start this. And it's also possible that the 
Army newspaper showed the general staff, look at these pictures we have, sir. And they said, well, yeah, we're not going to let, you know, no, you never show those pictures. So um, that's probably what happened. That's my opinion. So he was going to said, that's it. I quit. This time I absolutely quit the army. And JFK said, tell you what, we're going to give you another post in Hawaii. Because we really don't want to have a general, U.S. general, quit on us in the middle of the Cold War. What, what is, you know, don't do that. Look, we'll send you to Hawaii. You can do whatever you want. You can teach whatever you want. We don't care. And uh, Walker said, nope. Just like that. Nope. Like, like he was talking to a communist. And that's what the John Birch Society, they were up in arms about JFK. They were sure he was a communist. He was giving everything to the Russians. He gave them Cuba, right? That was their hot button. Anyway, now uh, now I'm at, I've answered your question. Did JFK fire uh, Walker? And the answer was no. It happened the way I told you. And I did a lot of research uh, on this at uh, UT Austin. What was the most suspicious thing to you about Walker? The most suspicious thing was this. Okay. He resigned from the army and he said, and I will take no, uh, my pension. I will take no army pension. I, you know, I don't want it. You know, you guys are like beneath me. I'll never, but his family wasn't rich. And that was a lot of money. And he'd been in the army for 30 years, right? He'd served in World War II. He served in Korea. He, he was at Taiwan. So, and then he did Little Rock. 30 years, he had a big fat pension coming to him. And he said, no, I don't want my pension. But he didn't move back home, Center Point, Texas. Instead, he moved to Dallas, Texas into a two-story house in the same neighborhood in which the family of H.L. Hunt lived. Next thing uh, he did, the very first day he got there, basically, is he got himself an office in an oil company, the free office, and he started to write political speeches. He started to write them and copyright them. Right? He was going to make political speeches on the far right. So, and then, and so that was November I'm telling you, he, he, he came to Dallas in November 61. In December 61, he gave his first speech at the Dallas uh, Memorial Auditorium there downtown. And packed, just packed. There was a lot of John Birchers in uh, Dallas. A lot of the John Birch Society was like KKK members too, right? Yeah, not a, they're both on the far right, but they're not KKK. They're, they were not racist or anti-Semite. They, they made that clear because they needed support from the the North as well as from the South. Okay. So they said, no, no, no. What we believe is we believe that the nation is being run by communists. It's not this mat, this, you know, race or the other. It's communists, basically in cooperation with Moscow. And they believed this. They truly believe this, right? Uh, so we have to basically kill the president who's working, who's a traitor. The president's a traitor, all his cabinet's a traitor, all of the senators are traitors, all of the Congress are traitors, Supreme Court are traitors, especially because of their, their Brown decision, and, uh, and even the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon, they're communists too. And That's and the John Birch Society. Walker was the one that created the Wonder for Treason posters, right? Uh, almost, well, yeah, well, his circle did. Now, he was in a close, tight-knit circle. That included lots of lots of folks in the John Birch Society, like for example H. L. Hunt, 
uh, Robert Morris, Larry Smith, Bernie Wiseman. Oh, they were on the outside. But uh, just so many people, uh, and my understanding is in the Dallas police and in the Dallas Sheriff's Department, too. If, when Walker's making political speeches, did he get arrested at some point? Never. Never. He First of all, he never preached. He never, I say preached, he never spoke to um, a, a, a liberal crowd. He always sought out an extreme right-wing right wing crowd. So he was very welcome at John Birch Society meetings. And some of those meetings were pretty big, right? In, uh, uh, in some states, you needed to have a large auditorium whenever uh, Walker came to town. So uh, he was popular, but only among the far right. Uh, people uh, that would support him would also support Governor George Wallace of Alabama, for example. Now, when it comes to Walker and Lee, Har- Lee Harvey Oswald, could you, I don't know how much you looked into the Walker shooting, but. Oh, baby. that's what it's hard for me to understand is like it depends on i guess everyone's little details about the whole thing are kind of a little bit different and they choose to go with oh either he took the shots or he didn't take the shots or but it doesn't make sense how can you shoot a target moving 75 yards away um and hit him three times but then you got the walker shooting where you're not even that far away and you still miss a guy who's sitting not even paying attention right right it's it is more complicated than that in, I'll jump to the end of the story first, and then I'll give you the background of what, what explains it. In my view, Lee Harvey Oswald was not alone in the shooting at General Walker. Um, whether he was with somebody or not, I would say almost certainly he was, because I don't think he took a bus or risked being on foot. That was a high-class area. You know, there's a shot. <laughs> the police are coming. Oh, we saw a guy walking on foot you know, he'd be picked up right now. So I don't think that happened. I think he had a driver. So that's that's my view. Uh, but it wasn't just those two who were involved. I identify a group of people from the Warren Commission hearing testimony. Using their testimony, the, especially the questions that the uh, attorneys asked them at the Warren Commission, because I think the, uh, those attorneys knew Right. They knew and they knew what questions to ask. They knew what was going on and they came around and they would ask. Uh, here are the people I'm talking about. George DeMorenschel, number one. Michael Payne, number two. Everett Glover, three. And uh, those three for the Warren Commission. And then one extra one for PBS, and that's Volkmar Schmidt. Okay. But the main three then are uh, uh, DeMorenschel, Payne, and Glover, because they testified for the Warren Commission, we have a lot. And the, and the attorneys asked them point blank several times about this issue. Did you have anything to do with the Walker shooting? Right. So that makes you think twice right there. But uh, and they all go, oh, no, 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 no. It was, you know. <laughs> so Marita says that uh, the very last night they saw the. Um, the DeMoran shells, I guess they were going soon away to Haiti. But that very last night, they came in, George walks up the sidewalk and says uh, out loud, Lee, how is it that you missed him? Right? So the Warren Commission quickly calls him back. Says, hey, 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 what about this? He says, oh, no, no. He said, I said that inside. And uh, 
right? It was a joke. He, he said, my wife found the, a rifle in, you know, in his room and she screamed out a rifle. And then I looked at, at Lee and I said, Lee, did you shoot it, Walker? And then everybody started laughing. That was their story then. Okay. But it did basically happen. It, uh, what, what Marina said basically happened. The Morinchel referred to General Walker shooting right there in their house out of the blue because she swore she never said a word about it and Lee never said a word about it. It was supposed to be a secret, right? As far as she knew, as far as she knew. Anyway, I'm getting uh, uh, diverted. I, in fact, this is really, really important because I've seen a document. It's a letter from, uh, from Walker to Hoover saying was two individuals arrested after an attempted assassination on me. And one was released by, I think it was noon or 2 PM. And he goes, was this individual Oswald? And, the, and at that point he was questioning, did the CIA have a planned assassination attempt on me? I think if I still have the document, I can show you what I'm. Is reading. this a letter by Walker? Yeah. This is a letter from Walker. Yeah. I think I've seen that document. Um, he's asking there and that, I believe it's the one I mean, it's uh, Senator Frank Church. And he's saying uh, there weren't, it wasn't just one individual shot at me. I have a, a neighbor who says he saw two individuals fleeing from the scene of the crime into a car. He says, and I believe them. So, and Senator Church, will you please do something about this? Because the local Dallas police are doing nothing about it year after year. You know, and this is 10 years later, this is 1975, he wrote this letter. But he did believe that he, all his life. He believed there were two shooters there and you're letting one go free and he's going to come back and kill me any day. Right. Uh, one of the uh, one of the first things when the Warren Commission first came to, to be and we weren't even taking witnesses and they were setting up Marina Oswald in some hotel, I think. Uh, It'll come to it'll come to mind soon. The Adolphus Hotel. Uh, the uh, 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 no, it's the long term one that she she waited in before testimony, uh, with the CIA and the Secret Service there. Hmm. Uh, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I have it uh, back mixed up. Maybe you were right. Uh, but anyway, it was that that hotel. Um, and I lost my train. Sorry. Where was I? I give you a, I give you a lot of credit for trying to remember document names, but I just want to show you, I show, I want to show you document. this document. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. The documents are a little bit difficult, but this was dear Senator church. So you're yeah, right. Senator the church. Warren commission found and concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald attempted to assassinate the undersigned at his home at 9 PM on April 10th, 19 or 1963. The initial and immediate investigation this time of the incident reported two men at my home with a gun seen by an eyewitness, a neighbor with in days, I was informed by a Lieutenant of the Dallas city police force that Oswald was in custody by 12 p.m. that night for questioning. He was released on higher authority. Um, in Dallas, there were two men, not alone the lunar. Please inform me if the CIA was involved in this attempted assassination. He was getting himself very, very paranoid, and I was wondering where this paranoid was coming from. But if you talk about them suspecting he might be gay and having surveillance over him, because all a part of Hoover, and you get to see it more around Nixon's time, there's this giant era of blackmail. So I have to think this has to be going on for a long time. So whether he was thinking that he was being surveilled constantly and being warned, now you have an attempted assassination on his life, so now he's even probably more paranoid, and now he's thinking that it was the cia that caused it i don't necessarily think it was the cia that did that because there would have to be motive for him to be taken out but if oswald took the shot i mean there's a lot of things that just don't add up like i mean he had bullet 
uh, casings from the wall that were still on his shirt. And it seemed like he was trying to make a show of it, like showing, hey, look what just and even RFK looked into the investigation with the FBI. And he said is what they concluded was that he was using it as a political thing. If this guy tried to kill JFK or kill JFK and then he tried to assassinate me before, that means like me and him must be in the same political or must be on the same political track. And that, I mean, I don't agree because I think Walker is hard right and Kennedy was a little bit more of a liberal, but I think he was using that. And this is what RFK say, said in a document to boost his campaign to get people to vote for him. If you voted for Kennedy, well, just know the same person that killed Kennedy was trying to kill me before. And RFK wanted to make sure 100% that that was figured out, that was investigated, and they concluded that he was using it as a political thing, not using it for um, anything else besides just getting uh, elected. Yeah, well, correct. And I agree with that. So, but let's go back to that letter, okay? Everything in that letter is true in the first two paragraphs, but the third paragraph is what gave the Dallas police heartburn and the FBI heartburn and the Dell and why nobody ever acted on this because it's just bizarre from what he's claiming. Let, let's let's see what he's claiming. Let's look at that. He's, he's claiming that he left at 12 p.m. or Oswald left at 12 p.m. And that somebody picked him up. There were two. And, and so you asked the one. Dallas police, okay, where's the records of uh, picking him up? And they go, we never picked him up. What do you mean? This, is, this isn't just uh, a, an error on the, or a belief, uh, a, a mistaken belief on the part of uh, Walker. It's a fantasy. He's now in a fantasy world. Okay. And also, who is this lieutenant? He talks about this person who gave him this information in different places. And by the way, this document, I believe that's the one, uh, same copy as the one I found uh, at the University of Texas uh, vaults. Where so did, just, what was all those documents doing at the university's vaults? Okay, well, it's, it's like any political figure of any measure at all. I mean, Walker did run for governor, right, of Texas. Uh, but like any political uh, person, when they die, Whatever they have in their library that's called personal papers, not the books. Nobody cares about the books. It's it's the the correspondence they had, the letters that they got from from other uh, people in high places, the letter they sent to people in high places. Those were of interest to history, right? To historians generally. And so these these museums and libraries collect personal papers from well-known people or famous people, rather. And uh, the people uh, surrounding the estate of General Walker thought. Why don't you just take all these personal papers? And they did. Um, it was uh, around the early two, 2000s, I think, that they finally received them from this estate. And when I got them around 2011, I think, uh, there was still no index. Nobody cared about them. Nobody saw them. Nobody's like, they're just sitting there with... <laughs> Getting gathering dust until somebody comes up with the money to give to the museum to make an index of these books, but nobody cared. So anyway, I said it's a gold mine. So I, I went through them. I went through every box with uh, with uh, Professor H. W. Brands back in 2012, 2013. So and I believe and I believe, I found about a thousand pages, and I put them up on my website. Uh, PET880.com. That's simple, right? And and for years I had it up. Then what happened was the Sixth Form Museum found it, 
downloaded all my copies. I didn't know about downloading. And they said, thank you very much. And then the library called me, my library called me and said, you don't have a right to put those up, take it down. So I took it down. Fuck the but anyway, that's museum. one of the ones I have. You'll, you can go ahead. Fuck the six floor museum. <laughs> they threatened to copy copyright strike a bunch of stuff and i was like hang on like you can't copyright the zapruder film that's like public that's public domain the zapruder film it's a it is the historical record thing but they claim rights to everything and they've sued like so many people like randy benson and other people but they all got lawyers that backed them up on so much of this stuff. Uh, oh, but what they're doing is important still i i still have to take up my hat to uh, historians um anyway the question was about uh how how oswald comes to be involved uh, in the Walker shooting. And I say he didn't care that much about Walker. I mean, he didn't like racial discrimination. He made that clear to his friends, right? But Walker wasn't a big deal. Okay, let, let me say something else about how it happened. This is, I'm going to take you back to September 1962. It'll take me a minute. Okay. Walk me through it all. Take as much time as you need. Okay, cool. So um, this is a Ole Miss University, University of Mississippi, in 1962, and uh, a black American uh, Air Force veteran, James Meredith, is applying to go to Ole Miss College, which is, is traditionally an all-white college. So he said, well, I want to be the first black person to enter. Here's my registration. Here are my credentials, which are very high, right? Let me in. And they said, uh, sorry, no, it's not our policy. So he sued and it went up to the governor and the governor said, I can't allow this to happen on my watch. It has, we have to stay segregated as long as I'm governor. So JFK made a phone call. Like Eisenhower made a phone call to uh, Arkansas, right? Before, before uh, he sent uh, Walker in. But now this is several years later and JFK is president and he calls uh, Governor Barnett uh, of Mississippi and says, you can't do that. Now, this is America. You know, you, he's he's very qualified. And just because he's black, you won't let him in. That's not America. You let him in or else I will, you know, put some muscle behind it. But it says, nope, I'm not going to do it. Now, General Walker is his friend. They move in the same Dixiecrat circles. So General Walker comes in and has a powwow. And he says, okay, I know what to do. He goes on radio and television. And he calls out nationwide, I want 10,000 strong from every state in the union. Bring your flags, your tents, your skillets. This is gonna be a long haul process to protest in case JFK sends federalized troops to Ole Miss University, right? So the day comes, uh, uh, registration or rather uh, the first day of school, the night before, these literally, Tens of thousands of students and uh, right-wing adults, right, just descend upon Oxford, Mississippi, begin to surround the school, and JFK had sent in some troops. Now he's sending in thousands more troops. This was the biggest riot control uh, procedure operation in U.S. history, to the best of my knowledge, right? There's no movie about it. It's very much hushed up. There was based, uh, newspaper reporters were mingled in the crowd, and an AP reporter said he saw when General Walker was there, he was leading the crowd, leading the charges, and you know telling them what to do to you know keep attacking. 
the next night, 300 were wounded, two were dead, and James Meredith was in his dorm, right, surrounded by Secret Service men. And that's the way it was going to be. General Walker lost. And Barnett lost. And the next morning, JFK and RFK arrest General Walker, right? And if they had just done that, the rest of America would have gone, okay, that's he deserves to be, you know, locked up. But they did something extra that I think, well, it played against them. And that is they sent him to an insane asylum. So now this guy's mad, but Americans don't like that kind of thing. You don't mix politics with uh, psychiatry, right? That is, you know, lobotomy city. You just don't do it. So it was a big mistake, in my opinion, by JFK and RFK to make this decision and send him to an insane time. But I think they just, they were, you know, what was going on at that same time as that is the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? So and so they're up to here with the Cuban Missile Crisis. And then Walker says, no, 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 I want to have a race riot at Ole Miss. Right. They were so trying they to get rid just, of him, and they thought the easiest way, instead of locking him in jail where a bunch of people could protest to get him out, they could just put him in an insane asylum because I think a lot of people don't understand full mental health capacity yet. So, But what happened was not only did the uh, ACLU protest, I mean, of course, the right wing protested it right away, but the ACLU joined them right away and said, you can't mix politics with, with psychiatry. That's That's insane, <laughs> right? And so and also... Um, uh, the general public, the general public sympathized and said, the liberals you know, joined it, too. And they said, you can't you can't do that. Let him go. In two more days, he was out. He was in there for a 90 day evaluation. But in two days, he was out. He was back in uh, Dallas Love Field there. And um, but he was mad. Oh, my God, he was mad. All right. So he said, OK, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get with one of my bros here and we're going to put together a speaking tour coast to coast along the southern states, coast to coast, telling everybody that JFK is a communist, a communist, a communist. And that's going to be what we do. They call it the midnight ride, right? It took them 18 weeks. Well, now, going back to Dallas, okay, Michael Payne left his wife around or somewhere around this time in the separation and went to go live with Everett Glover and Volkmar Schmidt. They were all engineers. That's the whole point. They're engineers. Okay, So they've got some money. And uh, Volkmar and Everett have a, another close confidant named George DeMorenschelt. Before that, Michael Payne never met George DeMorenschelt. They're not CIA, nothing to do with that. George DeMorenschelt was a... Uh, he, people say he was CIA. That's an exaggeration. He was an informant. Whoever would give him money. Um, when he was in Europe during the uh, Second World War for a while, he did that with the Nazis, right? Whoever gave him money. He was he was born extremely wealthy. He was raised as extremely wealthy. And then the communists came and took his estate. And so he became totally poor there in Eastern Europe. Anyway, he, now he's and a brother are in the United States. They're brilliant. He's a professor of geology at the U University of Texas at Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's correct. And but he's liberal now. He's liberal. He's going, you know, this Walker gets on my nerves. And, and he's now what about him is 
another connection, he is the best friend of Lee Harvey Oswald in Dallas, right? They're buds. Um, now, Lee might not be his best friend, but he is definitely Lee's best friend because Lee doesn't really have any other friends because he alienated everybody, his family, uh, his workmates, and the white Russians that were helping him and Maria. Right? But George DeMornshell and him are buds. And George starts calling General Walker, General Fokker. I can't stand that General Fokker, right? And Lee Harvey Oswald would laugh. And we know this is documented in George's uh, final testament. Anyway, um, so he's telling this. Now, next thing that happens is there's an engineer's party. And, jo and uh, 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 Professor DeMornshell basically starts the party, invites all these engineers so they could meet Lee Harvey Oswald, who is... Uh, a Marine, an ex-Marine defector to the Soviet Union who came back with a Russian bride, right, and baby. And that's, you know, like, like, a, like a freak show, right? Come and ask him questions like, what's going on in Russia today? What are you, a communist? Or, you know, why did you leave? Why, you know, why did you leave us? Why did you leave them? Why did you come back? All these questions. It, these parties were well attended, right? Volkmar Schmidt and Everett Clover both said, Hey, that's fun. We're going to do our own parties. They started to do their parties at their apartment. And one of these parties, I won't give the controversial account, just this the basic account. At one of these parties, um, Marie, uh, Ruth, Oz, Ruth Payne came by herself. Michael uh, had a cold, according to her and Michael, not according to Everett. But anyway, um, she's there alone. George de Marinchel comes with his wife, Marina Oswald, their baby, and Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald sits up in the uh, living room and keeps everybody entertained, but the women basically go into the back bedroom because they have a baby and they can, you know, talk, shop in their own way and so on. So that's the first time that Ruth Payne met Marina Oswald. They were both young mothers. There were no other young mothers at the party. And uh, Ruth was brushing up on her Russian. She really wanted to learn conversational Russian. So, so they hit it off. They became friends there, just right there. Um, George de Morinschelt. No, then at that party, if I'm not mistaken, see that that party or the next party, okay, Volkmar Schmidt pairs off against Lee Harvey Oswald, and the whole room watches these two. And the basic question is, uh, Okay, Lee Harvey Oswald believes that JFK failed big time with the Bay of Pigs. This was a disaster. And uh, he was, you know, he was, if he was either a communist or he was just incompetent. And uh, a communist or incompetent. So um, Volkmar Schmidt is, is liberal, he's an engineer who's liberal, and he says, I know what to do. He says, this guy has a bunch of inner rage, and he's just aiming it wherever he hears somebody aim it. So I'm going to aim his rage at General Walker. And so he tells a, a long story to Lee Harvey Oswald and basically adds the words, and General Walker was just like Hitler. And what would have happened if somebody would have killed Hitler early before he took power? The whole World War II would never have happened. And basically, that was, that's on document. That's not just on document. That's in video that, that Volkmar Schmidt confesses that he said this, right? So 
The next thing that happens after this historically is Lee Harvey Oswald goes out and orders a rifle. So that party was late February. And the talk of that, and then, okay, right before it, right before it, late January, I didn't mention this, there was a grand jury in Mississippi to try whether or not Walker was guilty or not. And they said he was innocent. They let him go. George de Marshall was so mad at that. And so was Michael Payne. And so was Everett Glover. And so was Volk Marshfit. Okay, those, those four guys and Lee Harvey Oswald were basically moving in the same orbit of this guy has got to go. Somebody's got to do something about this guy before he does any more trouble, right? But they didn't mean to kill him. I believe that because they were asked by this war commission, did you mean to kill? And he goes, no, 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 no. And we talked about it, but it was innocent. We didn't know. We had no idea he was going to go out and buy a rifle. We didn't know he had a rifle. We had no idea that he was going to do this. We, this is just our political opinion. This is just free speech. Okay, let us talk. And so I, I tend to believe them because I think they were really that naive. I really do. I don't know about George, but certainly the others were. Anyway, um, I think that answers you. Oh, no, no. So then now the next thing that happens is after Walker comes back from his midnight ride, uh, uh, mid-April 1963, what happens is the next night, Somebody tries to shoot him. Somebody tries to kill him at his place as he's doing his taxes. What? The bullet just went by my nose, right? I got glass all over me. So um, then the next thing he heard was car screech, car wheel screeching. He took his gun, he had handy, and he ran out the door, didn't see anybody. Later on, found out the police came, right? And later on, found that the neighbor kid is 12 years old, if I have that right, 12 to 14, maybe. And he says, I was on the fence. And what I saw was I saw two people running over into that parking lot. There's a Mormon church behind uh, the alley behind where Walker lived in that parking lot. And they sped away. They threw something in the car and they sped away. That's what he said. I'm trying to remember his name, but the reason I don't is because he's so... His name is almost never mentioned, right? Because he was terrified. He would not be able, that boy could not sleep at night because of what people were saying. You saw the guys that shot at Walker, right? They're communists or, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're bad guys. And he goes, if I'm going to testify against these guys, I'm going to get killed. So this boy said, I don't want police to, to talk to me. I don't want to say anything to anybody. Uh, but he did give a police statement, not on camera. But he you know, wrote down and his parents were there and he signed it. And, and essentially, that's what he saw. Well, there's documents that talk about a witness seeing two people. And I, when I brought up the Posner, he said there was no witnesses. I was like, there was there was witnesses. I've seen documentation and them talking about that. And I've also seen documentation about pulling the bullet fragment or bullet out of um, Walker's wall. And some of those ballistics not really necessarily matching. I think it said they came from a barrel that had four marks on it or something like that. And one of the documents on the Mary Farrell site. But then there's a documents that also talk about uh manipulate i wouldn't say manipulation but that the bullet fragment something diagnostics test didn't match up or something like that well yeah very good point uh let me talk talk about that bullet a little bit because walker made a big fuss about it but 
really what happened, according to the Warren Commission FBI folks that were investigating it, the bullet fragments that they found at Walker's house were so badly mutilated, they could not tell at all what weapon fired. That's what they said. It hit a window, it hit a wall, and what they got were fragments. And so that was the first thing, right? It was mutilated. The second thing that happened, and there was obviously people who disputed, no, 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 they had their own stories, but that's what the FBI said, too mutilated. Um, and then what happened was, uh, the, let's see, let's see, where was I? The After the FBI said the bullet was mutilated. Yeah, after that, yeah, some years later, right, this is the H... House Select Committee on Assassination, HSCA meeting. So this is like 10 years later. Uh, they, the guy you're going to have. I don't say it. Don't say it. Yeah, but I know you're talking about Blake. Oh, okay. I won't say it. I won't say it. But anyway, he he shows, he says, hey, give me the Walker bullet. I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a news, uh, I have a TV spot right now and I want to have the Walker bullet. Well, sir, no, that's so mutilated. No, just give me any other bullet. He took a bullet and he started talking about it as if it was the water bullet, a Walker bullet right there on television. He's talking about this bullet and Walker's, his head is exploding. That's not my bullet. That's, you know, and he's, and he calls his, he calls the police. He calls his congressmen. He calls the senators. He calls everybody he knows. He's going crazy, right? That's not my, you, you better reverse that. You better have him pu publicly apologize for lying. My bullet is mangled beyond recognition. And so you'll find that letter, you know, uh, when you examine his uh, correspondence. I'm surprised that they didn't find a way to get rid of Walker in any, I mean, they had him arrested. Sure. They had him at a psychiatric place, but I feel like if anything, I don't know that assassination attempt. I mean, I guess I could buy that. It was Oswald. I'm just curious to who the person that he was with that drove him there, unless it's Ruby, but then that would go. I mean, I've seen documents that Oswald and Ruby were hanging out, but I don't, I don't know how substantiated that is. No, general Walker wrote that those articles, general rock Walker wrote a lot. And he would write about the assassination, the conspiracy theories. He would write conspiracy theories. He would. First of all, he was convinced that there was another person in the car with Lee Harvey Oswald. Who was it? Why wasn't the police telling me? Why wasn't the CIA? Why is nobody telling me who the other person was unless it was Jack Ruby? And so he writes to the National Enquirer. He says, it was Jack Ruby, right? And he, in his mind, it's Jack Ruby. So. Partly, he, he's rooted in his political community quite well. And partly, he lives in a little fantasy land, fantasy world. So one has to be very careful in uh, evaluating his particular claims. If there's no name involved, if there's no substantiation that he offers, we have a right to suspect it. I believe him as about as much as i believe alex jones i think that he says a lot but i think he does some things that do stick on the wall um one thing in particular which is with walker when he talked about the russian kgb use of lobotomies which was a letter he wrote about him after he was sent to the psychiatric place he had there's a fear that he was going something was going to happen to him there so that's a, that that means a tactic that's been going on a lot in the intelligence community when you look at the cold war there was a lot of stuff that was going on between intelligence even operators. so if the c yes even so rob if the cia wanted to get rid of him they would have done it with ease Poison and it wouldn't pills. have been in public. <laughs>
right? It would if they really wanted to erase somebody. There's nothing that any, to, anybody could do to prevent it. He was not on their radar. The only people on the CIA's radar were people overseas. That's their job, right? Everything that happened. You know, FBI can handle everything onshore when it comes to overseas. That's the CIA's role. And that's where their focus was. They didn't give a damn about Walker. That's the FBI's problem. Well, I, I've talked to two people about that, like Nigel West, who studies intelligence operations. He said it's a myth that the CIA is never about never allowed to activate on domestic land. And it's in their charter. And they have been doing that for a long yes, time. Yes, they have to. They have to because a lot of those overseas people come ashore. Then what are they going to do? Sometimes they move ashore. They have to. They have to keep track. So that's true. But they do that in cooperation with the FBI when they're on domestic soil. I don't I don't think the CIA tried to take out Walker. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that out of all the things he was spewing out, he was saying some things that has some validation to it when it comes to like. Yeah, he, he the right wing loved him. Right. He was totally against racial integration. That was point number one. He believed there were communists in Washington, D.C. So that Washington, D.C. was evil. Right. Well, the South has been saying that for 100 years. OK, so that was an easy thing to sell. It was easy for him to to uh, whip up his base. And he did. But he never went outside his way. Whenever he did, he always made a fool of himself. I can, I, we have examples. Who do you think killed Kennedy? Who I think killed Kennedy was, I think it was a right-wing conspiracy inside Dallas that included the highest levels of officials in Dallas. Probably H.L. Hunt knew about it, but it probably there was no money involved. That's my point. This was, it was a politically, entirely a political assassination, 100%. The people who did this didn't need money, right? They wanted they wanted patriotism, and this was their idea of patriotism. You have to kill the communists who are in office. That's the John Birch Society uh, sub-theme that wasn't their actual theme, because they never buy, uh, advocated violence, right? But they did have an adjutant uh, organization called the Minutemen, and they were armed, and they were coast to coast, and they were close. And I, I have evidence from uh, Harry Dean that they were close. He's a, got a personal experience on both sides. So um, anyway, I think that answered that. When it comes to who Oswald was with when he took the shot at Walker, the Mar Marina didn't mention any other person that he was with. She actually said that the night that he went to go kill Walker, she goes, well, I don't know how he would have got there. Maybe he took the bus, but it wouldn't make sense. Like she questioned herself when she said it. And I don't know what happened to right. the rifle. <laughs> so... Yeah, well, she said he buried it. No, she didn't say he buried it. She said in Russian, he hid it, okay? Uh, but the same word for hid in Russian means buried. So it was translated, she, he buried it. So there's all these people going, well, where did he bury it? Huh? Ridiculous. He just hid it. Well, where did he hid it? He could have hid it in the trunk of a car. You know, somewhere he could easily get it. He had friends is the point. We, we're just too or, uh, conditioned by the Warren Commission to think of Lee Harvey Oswald as a loner. He was not a loner. He was never a loner. He wasn't a loner in the Marines. He wasn't a loner in New Orleans. He wasn't a loner uh, in Dallas. He had friends everywhere. So he had, and he had people to drive him, right? So anyway, this, this is 
going far afield, I think, but I wanted to get back to Walker, but let me hear your question. This idea that he's incompetent doesn't work because, I mean, if you look at the areas that he traveled at such a young age, the vast places he had explored and the connections that he had, um, George DeMornshield being one, I mean, he worked at a a stovall company doing like printing for maps for the military. I mean, there's a lot of very suspicious, I would say. I don't like to go into the whole- Yeah, I don't think it was for the military, but yes, he was a trainee there. I don't like to go into he the whole government angle on things, but what I do stick with is that there's probably logical, like I've talked to Nancy Weifert about George DeMorn Shield, and she kind of explained his life. And there are some things that I would say would fit a certain profile of a certain thing, but I don't, he just made a lot of connections with people. You know, he went to parties, a friend knew a friend, then he became friends with that friend. His address book, Oswald had an address book as well, too, that had some names written down in there as well, too. And I just, I think there's logical conclusions of things, but to say that, you know, if he did take a shot at Walker, I don't think he took a shot at Kennedy. Oh, okay. So here's the thing is people's people originally tried to say, look, he shot at Walker. Therefore he shot at Kennedy. Right. That was, that was the main story coming out of Dallas. How do you know that he shot at Kennedy? Well, he shot at JD Tepe, right. Uh, But, but they didn't know at that time that he'd also shot at Walker. Um, so I believe that he did shoot at Walker. And here's, let me finish my story. And I think it'll come there, I hope. Anyway, so anyway, somebody tries to shoot Walker in his home. The next thing we know is Walker is almost insanely mad and raging because he believes, he truly believes, okay, that the communists are trying to kill him because of his speech, speeches, uh, and RFK is behind those communists. Right now, the next thing he says in his letter to Frank Church that you saw is he said that same night, a lieutenant came and told. No, no, no. Days later, just a few days later, a lieutenant came and told me that they had arrested Oswald that night and then had to let him go because of somebody in higher office had let him go. Now, that's in the letter that you showed me. Right. None of that's true. There is no lieutenant. He never named a lieutenant. And he talks about the person in a do- another uh, a document, and he ha- has a different rank. Okay. So he doesn't want to tell us who it was that told him, but I believe somebody told him. I truly believe somebody told him. He knew within days, as he said in that letter, that Lee Harvey Oswald was his shooter. He knew that for a fact, right? And he knew that uh, so much that he thought, RFK is out to kill me. So now, if you thought he was paranoid before, now he's just like, he's spinning like a squirrel in a squirrel cage. Well, if he found out that Oswald took a shot at him and then later Kennedy's killed by Oswald, like a couple months later, then the CIA and the FBI would have had a bunch of surveillance on them. Now, we, we they had surveillance for a lot longer than that time period between the two shootings, but they would have definitely kept an eye on him um, when it came to killing Kennedy. So that means that he- Why? Well, Tell me why. If there's a prior assassination attempt on another person, you wouldn't want to monitor that individual for another domestic. Of course, you're right. Right. So the Dallas police said, there's no way this happened. We never arrested Oswald ever. So he's in a fantasy world there. Right. He's not telling us who the lieutenant was, but all the lieutenants say he's basically nuts. Right. So there's nothing but denials coming out of the Dallas Police Department, Dallas Sheriff's Department. That's important. 
Yeah, but that's, that doesn't answer the question. Well, what I'm saying is, is wouldn't they have, if Oswald, if that was a fabricated story, if he even mentioned Oswald's name, you're telling me that nobody's going to start looking into Oswald or monitoring Oswald? No, I think that's up. No, I think, uh, I don't know how he got the name, but some, he got the name from somebody in a high place. I believe that. I can tell you who I think it was. I think it was James Hosty of the Dallas FBI. Ooh. I think, yeah, I think that James Hosty of the Dallas FBI had switched sides and was no longer reporting the truth to Washington, D.C. Instead, he was working with the ex extreme right wing in Dallas. And he had been tracking Lee Harvey Oswald for months, for many months, probably since the time he first bought his rifle. And he is the one who put two and two together and said, that was Oswald who did that to you, Walker. And he called Walker and told him it was. Go ahead. Wouldn't it make more sense if it was Fritz? Well, let's see. Fritz was, Fr Fritz, Fritz was, Fritz was a, a murder. He was a, a captain of the murder homicide division. Yeah, but he was also a liar as well, too. And then also known to associate hard with the right wing. Correct. Exactly. I agree with you on the last two things you said, but I still don't see a connection for that. James Hosty, I will challenge James Hosty to my opinion, with my opinion that the book that he wrote was 50% um, fiction. The book that he wrote, Assignment Oswald, 50% fiction. See? Did, did you ever the look at his notes? Uh, his notes? Hosty no, I just read that book. So I just read the book. The interrogation oh. with Oswald, that 48 hours. Oh, those notes. Yeah. yeah. So. His notes, plus the notes of Fritz, plus the notes of uh, Harry Holmes, plus the notes of all the other guys who were there, they basically agree with each other so closely, right, that one has to ask, number one, why didn't anybody take any notes while they were there? Two, when they all submitted notes 12 weeks later, right, they all submitted them together. And they all matched pretty much the same. They had time to think of these answers. Anything that they said that Lee Harvey Oswald said while he, he was detained, I don't believe. Not one word of it. They made it all up. When it comes to the Walker shooting and also the Kennedy shooting, do you think that RFK and all the other investigations into the Kennedy assassination covered up the fact that Oswald was connected to the Walker shooting because they didn't want to associate um, Walker's political ideologies with Kennedy's, like I mentioned before? Yeah, was... I do. I think that that's, that is a very logical idea because Walker was a political force still in America. He was, even though it was the, you know, nutty radical right that was his constituency there are millions of them right you got to take these people into consideration uh, you it's, it's wrong it's not american just dismiss them out of hand and say get to one side that's not right no and rfk knew that right you have to throw them a bone every once in a while i think what the damage would have done from two aspects which is that if oswald tried to kill walker but then killed kennedy RFK would have asked the question, how come nobody had this guy under arrest or how come no one completed that investigation on Walker? We and, and but that was a big, yeah, that was an ongoing question in the Warren report, especially the FBI were asked, how come you guys didn't know? It's, this is your job to track all these people. Now here comes 
JFK into your town and your FBI guy says, nope, nobody dangerous here. That really came down. Go ahead. It's similar to the uh, magic bullet or single bullet theory. Um, the aspect of there were three shots fired, all three hit Kennedy, but then no one took account for James Tag, and James Tag got hit by a bullet hitting the cement and bouncing up and hitting him in the curb. So they immediately go, okay, well, then there was two bullets, and this one bullet did all this damage. So it was a way to cover it up. So the Walker shooting was kind of the same situation. we rather have him take the rap for killing Kennedy than rather him you know find out that he tried to kill walker because then everyone's gonna be like why the hell did you not have this guy in prison if you tried to assassinate someone prior oh so you're i think you're asking was the fbi trying just to cover its own ass and nothing else well somebody slipped up the secret service slipped up dallas police did a crap job a bunch of people didn't do proper investigations the warren commission is the biggest example yeah no the people who most people didn't question you're right so that's a crap job but some people in Dallas did a great job because they got exactly what they planned for. That's true. I mean, I meant more in an aspect of just doing their actual civic duty, not trying to get away with killing the, the president. Um, do you think it was Dallas police that got rid of Kennedy? <sighs> okay. I think, I think it's the best chance or at least this, whoever did it, whoever the shooter was, was wearing a police uniform. Because if you were wearing a police uniform in Dallas in 1963, you could go anywhere you wanted. People would open the door for you. You were a highly respected person. If you wanted to walk in there, it's because you had business in there. Yes, sir. I'll open that door for you. Anything, right? If he had on this, that would have been the perfect disguise. Even if he shot Kennedy, he wouldn't have had to run, right? Just walk away slowly. <laughs> I agree with you because I spoke with Mick. Oh, I mean... Like I said, I'm kind of like at this point, just understanding the historical aspect to this. I'm not even trying to solve the case. But what I did hear from McBride was then when it came to the tippet killing, they talked about seeing two people in Dallas police clothing um, that were associated to the two individuals or whatever that was seen at the tippet scene. So, I mean, it gets into an area and I, I don't believe in tippet connections on things. I think there's accounts of tippet patrolling the silver spur or something like that as a club that one of Ruby used to hang out at or something like that. I've seen accounts from that, which I mean, it might make sense, but. When it comes to Dallas police, if you look at the overall investigation of Dallas police, in my opinion, um, and this comes from McBride's information as well, too. He talked about like a guy openly showed him a KKK badge, like a lot of people on Dallas police force were openly KKK. So I go, you got to think there's gang associations that are going on between Dallas police. There's uh, I mean, there was not even I think there was a hanging not even that long ago before all this stuff started happening. So now they have a person that is now sitting in their custody that allegedly killed the president they're going to start having eyes of the fbi the cia and a bunch of people are going to start snooping around your extra extracurricular activities so i think it was an easy way to be like okay we're going to plan this jack rebel whoever you want to say that plan this route of walking oswald out and then ruby comes up and shoots him ruby had known associations with dallas police you read the documents warren commission everybody says he did not know dallas police that is a damn lie i mean when jack rebel watches freaking uh ruby shoot uh oswald in the gut he goes jack you son of a bitch that's not a last name basis that's a first name basis first name basis so i think there's ample evidence to prove that what dallas police feared um in protection of oswald uh 
whether it was going to make it to court or not, was the aspect of there are about to be a bunch of people investigating into this guy, and they're going to be looking at where we messed up and where other areas that were messing up also and really hard police corruption. And I think Roger Craig is one of these guys that did not agree or what did not fall into the loop on a lot of these aspects. And then he eventually became a problem. I feel so sorry for that guy, but he was with the team at first, but then he was given a particular assignment, right? And then when, before the day was over, the FBI decided, hey, this, this is, there's no conspiracy here. FBI has to hide everything that looks or smells like a conspiracy, right? He didn't get that memo. So when he testified for the Warren Commission, he was the only one to say, okay, yeah, there was a conspiracy and some guy in a, a blue uh, station wagon came to, or green station wagon came to pick Rambo. up. Yeah, thank you, green Rambler. Uh, came to pick up Oswald in front of the uh, the uh, school book depository. And I think it was Ruth Payne, might have been Ruth Payne station wagon, right? All this, you could tell it's somebody who had the old story, the one who was going to tell if they could get away with it, right? If, if the FBI would have let them do the investigation. Oh, yeah, this was a communist shooting from beginning to end, right? We got it in big Cuba now, right? That was their goal, you know? That's their political goal. How do we how do we move the country that far to the right right now? They almost did it. But the FBI, no, they didn't almost do it because Hoover, before the day was over, he said, um, 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 okay, I see who did it. I know who did it and I know why they did it. Okay, all those people, then we're gonna watch them, but nobody's gonna be charged. We're gonna blame Lee Harvey Oswald alone. Right. Yeah, well, the Katzen- it was the Cold War and you had to do that. He didn't have a choice. The Katzenbach memo that talks about we have the killer of the president in custody and the public must be satisfied that Oswald was the lone assassin, um, which I, I mean, it makes a little bit of sense. If you look at the aspect of what they were ramping up communism to be before all that transpired, I mean, the immediate action, if it came out to be a plot from Castro or something like that, was going to be that we need to go invade Cuba. And right then they could not deal with that. So it had to be Lee Harvey Oswald that fell on top of the sword and everything manipulation of evidence whatever you want to say comes into the aspect that lee harvey oswald did kill the president it just gets confusing because when you have certain individuals like fritz you got to look into fritz background and you got to look at the fact that he said that roger craig was not in that room to identify oswald well roger craig stated he was and also a couple other people that were in near the interrogation thing said they saw roger craig so fritz is lying and we and have I, a picture. We have a picture of Roger Craig at that time in front of the office of, of Fritz's office. So then you got Fritz lying. And then apparently, I don't know if this is Fritz that was doing this, but he was going around asking questions, but he wasn't using his real name. He was using someone else's name, um, doing his own private investigation. So I don't know what was going on with him and what his whole aspect of Bart Camp has done really great work on Oswald's last 48 hours. Um, when it comes, he's using Malcolm Blunt's archives, which is, it does go by Hostie's notes. Now, not any, it was only Hostie that we have notes about. Fritz didn't take notes. The thing is around this time period, people go, why aren't there any recordings of any of this? That wasn't a normal thing. It didn't happen until later on. Like I think 10 years later or so like that, they actually started recording interrogation interviews. So it wasn't normal to have a recording of Oswald's 48 hours. And I go by Bart Camp's work on that because it's just, it's excellent. He has a very detailed uh, layout on his website, Prayer Man. But I mean, it makes... Well, I mean, I don't have any issue with that particularly, but uh, what is the implication? 
What do you mean? What's the implication? Yeah. So, okay. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to wrap my mind around the claim. Uh, repeat it again, please. The claim that uh, Hosty was the only one that took notes. Fritz didn't take any notes. Uh, cl close to that. But anyway, yeah. What, first of all, other states, other cities had tape recorders in 1963. Uh, little ones, right? Just bring in from home. So I'm not, I, just, I just don't accept that. Oh, what I was going to say is I don't accept anything that Fritz said. In my opinion, he is a smooth-talking fabricator. Well, and he's you know, hiding something. I, I, I believe that, but you know where Fritz didn't have any notes. There's no record of Fritz's notes, and also there's no recordings of any interrogation. So, I mean, Dallas might have been an exception and didn't get it until a later time period, but yeah, best... it might have been. I don't want to, yeah, I, I, that's not an, you might be right on that. So, I don't want to. Uh, well, there's that. there's questions that we're probably missing as well too from certain testimonies of certain witnesses. Um, I'm not gonna say Love Lady, but I think it's Shelley. Um, some people that worked at the Book Depository Building. There was a guy with a DUI charge. He was a black guy. He had a DUI charge from like I don't know, like ten years ago or something like that. And that's like having a brand on your forehead in Dallas. So when it came to these questions of some of these people, some of the people said they didn't they didn't know Oswald. Now you got to think there's six floors. And you got a bunch of people working on all these different floors and Bart Camp explained the types of people that worked on the certain floors and none of them came in contact with Oswald. And it's like, well, you had to know him. You guys worked in the same building. There isn't that many employees that work here. So you're going to eventually run into the guy and you start looking at, okay, this is Dallas in 63, which wasn't very open to a lot of things. And then you can also make the inference that some of these people didn't want to be associated with a fucking cop killer. I mean, that's what they're being questioned about when it came to Oswald. It wasn't about being associated with Kennedy. It was about being, I, this guy killed a cop and everyone's like, oh, killer. right. Right. I agree. So I think it gets a little bit, I, it's a little bit complicated. It, damn it. If I didn't wish we had a time machine to be able to go back and check it out. And see, you know, there's certain areas I'd want to investigate the grassy knoll. Why was somebody flashing a secret serve badge up there? That doesn't make sense. I mean, people bring up all that smoke that came from the grass. It does. If, yeah. But it does. If you have a conspiracy and it does, especially if you have a conspiracy uh, with access to high level office paraphernalia. Right. So if I was working for the FBI, right, like James Hosty was and his and his pals, I would have access to a friend who was in the, the Secret Service and say, hey, can I use your badge for an hour? Sure. I believe that he would be, especially if they were political comrades, right, just hand that off to whoever he wanted to hand it off to. Do you think it was weird that the Secret Service asked the uh, uh, Dallas police to stand down during the protection of the motorcade? Uh, you're talking about the Dallas Sheriff's Office told the Dallas deputies to stand down. Yeah, the 116 of them. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, I thought I think that's strange. I also think that um, the uh, sheriff of Dallas was involved in the conspiracy. I believe that his five top deputies were also involved. Uh, so that's, uh, that's six people in the, in the, um, police department, separate from the sheriff's department in the police department, I get maybe that many, maybe not that many <clears throat> that I can identify, but in the sheriff's department, you had most of the work done. Here's what happened. As soon as there were shots, right? Just, I mean, 
just like starting to you know, shooting a gun in a race, right? Just within seconds, they start running, a dozen of them, I think, approximately. Uh, uh, um, de sheriff's deputies start running for the grassy knoll, right? And they hop over the fence because that's, for some reason, that's where they thought the shots came from. And they looked and they looked and they looked and they, they couldn't find any clues at all. Right. Somebody said, I smell the smoke, right? I'm going to go over there, but there's not, not any clue. <clears throat> so a little bit after that, one of the leaders of the deputy said, let's go to the sixth floor of this building over here. Let's go in. And, he, and they all did. And they all went in. In fact, they went to the seventh floor. They said, uh, we don't have any flashlights. So they sent some of the guys back. I have the name somewhere else. Some of the guys back to get flashlights, right? They're spending time up there that these Dallas deputies are spending a lot of time up there, basically within a few minutes of the uh, assassination. They're spending a lot of time up there. And they don't find the murder weapon or the bullets until a half an hour later, right there, you know, one floor down. And they would come up and down the sixth floor and the seventh floor a lot, according to testimony, right? So I, I suspect those deputies of having a role, their role mainly was to prepare the sixth floor. I would probably add in the fact that when the rifle changed, uh, variations i would say went from a seven point whatever mauser to manly car carcano a um, bunch of people called out it being and i can understand a mistake easy but i just go there's like three people and one of them was a weapons expert or something like that that was able to identify that it was this italian rifle or it was this mauser then it switches over to a manly car carcano which had me questioning a bunch of things but the warren commission added into their uh, test or statement from Marina Oswald saying that she identified Lee Harvey's rifle and she re recounted the fact that she could hear him on the back porch reloading it and hearing the sounds of it. Well, I showed on air the HSCA volumes too, where she said she couldn't identify between a rifle and a shotgun. She goes, what's the difference? And they're like, okay, so do you know what Lee's rifle looks like? And like, you couldn't remember it back then. So there'd be no point in showing it to you now, but they also asked, did you ever hear what he was doing with his rifle on the back porch? And she goes, I didn't care what he was doing. I didn't think to even take account of anything that he was doing. It was the most dysfunctional relationship where whenever Oswald was doing something, she didn't care at all. So there, that evidence that's in the Warren Commission that states him reloading it on his back porch, she never agreed to that in the HSCA volumes. So you, you get into this aspect of like, there's stuff that's added to pad the narrative a little bit. Okay, well, I'm very sympathetic though to Marina Oswald. Uh, that's a long story. We won't go into all that. Well, but deportation just to say that is a big she example. Was, she was basically trying to take care of her baby all by herself with very little money. Okay, uh, and one of the stories, uh, one of the uh, uh, WC witnesses, okay, they saw that the baby June, her 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 crib was a suitcase. Okay, they lived humbly, right, and she was trying to make ends meet. He would never give her any money, right? He he had to control. I mean, any, I, I won't go into all of it, but. If he, she didn't care what he was doing, it was like, that's men's business. I don't give a damn. As long as he brings money, then we can survive, right? So she went about, you know, uh, washing diapers or whatever it is that mothers do. Anyway, 
I agree with that. I, I, I don't think, I think I, Marino was in a tough position. I, I've seen the uh, document from Hoover that says you can threaten um, deportation to her if she doesn't cooperate, but don't actually do it is what it says. Don't actually do it. And I think somebody probably went a little too far with the scare, scary interrogation or the scary deportation aspect, but it, it even brings up a kind of a, a problem when you start looking at Oswald was a dad. I mean, I've seen the photos of him at Christmas holding his baby and, you know, sitting around. And it seems like the complete opposite of what the Warren Commission paints him out to be this nut job, unstable type. And I just go, I couldn't imagine doing that as a father, taking those risks in so many aspects, especially when you know your wife can barely speak English. So there's just stuff that's not adding up. I mean, we know about the firing range incident with uh, somebody using Lee Harvey's name and shooting other people's targets. He was supposed to be shooting at target nine and shot at seven and eight, saying this is what he was going to do to the president. Now, I don't. nobody knows who that individual was, but it was using Lee Harvey's name. Um, yeah, but according to witnesses, and if you read their accounts, you, you might, like me, you might not find them credible. It's you always have cases of mistaken identity in murder cases, at least a little. But when it comes to famous people, you get a lot. You get your choice. Who do you want to pick to 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 uh, to, to appear? You got, and most of my opinion, most of the so-called sightings of Lee Harvey Oswald, the loner, okay, came from people who just really thought they saw him, but they didn't, or really thought they heard his name, but they didn't. Like this one guy said. Yeah, it was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Say, what? How do you know? Say, what? Say, he wrote it on uh, on my business card. Oh yeah, let's see it. He said, well, he didn't actually write his name. He wrote just the word Oswald, right? As if there were no other Oswalds in Dallas. So, I mean, the, the witnesses' testimony tends to fizzle if they just saw him as a loner, or saw him, uh, and somehow confirms what the what the FBI wanted us to, to conclude that he was the only shooter. How, how much sleep have you lost over uh, examining all this? <laughs> okay, like like I say millions of baby boomers in 1963 when I first heard about saw the movie JFK by Oliver Stone, I started reading uh, see some of the uh, Mark Lane especially, Jim Garrison also um there are quite a few other important uh, writers. Uh, I was very excited in the 90s when uh, uh, James Hosty posted to Simon Oswald. And in that the same year, um, Porchenko, I think is his name, wrote Passport to Assassination, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico City in the uh, uh, Soviet embassy, right? Very interesting read. Uh, because Lee Harvey Oswald was being manipulated by somebody. It's like he was basically there on orders, right, from somebody. And this is what I think was going on with, with him in Mexico City, if, if I can. Yeah. Okay. So basically, he is there at the request of Guy Bannister. And he has, for the last eight weeks, created and set up a fake. FPCC office in New Orleans. FPCC, Fair Play for Cuba Committee. So it makes it look like he's a, a Castro supporter, a Cuba support, supporter, and a communist supporter. That's what many people would think, right? 
How could he? And how could he do that in New Orleans? We're very right wing here, right? But anyway, that's what he did. He was very visible about it. And then he has a allegedly a scuffle with uh, Carlos Bringuier. They go to to, to the court, uh, jail. Uh, Oswald has a hundred dollar fine, and uh, then it just kind of explodes there until it becomes a radio show. And then it's a TV performance, right? He's on radio and TV, and he's talking about his uh, FPCC, you know, and he won't tell you how many members there are, right? Um, but uh, in any case, after that TV spot, that FPCC branch is gone, disappears, doesn't go anywhere. That's it. What happens next is he goes to Mexico City with all these uh, newspaper uh, stories about himself as the um, as the secretary of the FPCC in New Orleans. So he's somebody. He says, so what I want is I want uh, my passport to Havana. And I want it double quick, right? And of course, they laugh at him. <laughs> you know, get out of here. You know, we don't do things that way. You have a, a letter of introduction. Who are you going to see in Havana? What's their name? What's their telephone number? That's how we do things here. And he goes, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to call the Soviet Union. I'm going to tell them, you know, I was there and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so they said, the Soviet Union is right across the street. Just go over there and, and, and talk to them. And if they have a different story for us, they will call us. And so he did. He goes to the Soviet Union. He goes, I want, you know, I want passport to Havana. They won't give it to me until I have a, a passport to Moscow. So give me my passport to Moscow. They said, oh, yes, sir, we'd be happy to oblige you. It'll take about 60 days. What? Right? So he's, he throws a tantrum there, too, until they get rid of him, too. Long story short, that, that was it. Both of them got rid of him. They both thought he was a, a goof. Right? And he really did throw a tantrum in both places, and they, they documented that. I know. I, I remember uh, him talking about he was going to kill himself and whatever. Yeah. He Moscow. takes a gun into the Soviet embassy. Can you imagine? Right. And then he starts crying. Oh, they're coming to get me. Right. The FBI is persecuting me. I have to get to the Soviet Union. Right. And they just said, may I have your gun, please? They take the bullets out, hand his gun back to him. Yes, sir. OK, guess what? Get out. <laughs> so the Mexico City thing is just giving me a headache in general, trying to figure out if he was there or not. But um, it's so funny. No, we, we have absolute proof that he was there. We, we don't have proof that he went to the embassies because that's classified information and nobody is allowed to say if they saw that, right? So that's classified. But when it comes to actually seeing him in Mexico City during those days, we have, we have one very important witness who went on video to, to say this. Um, he's, the, he's the guy who wrote the book on uh, Oswald in Mexico. I'm trying to remember the name. Recently released. He wrote an FBI, a CIA document about it. Anyway, his name will come to me. Oh, I'm trying to think. I don't know now. Yeah, what's his name again? It's not Clint Hill, is it? Clint no, 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 no. It's a. He's got a, a Spanish name, and he wrote a CIA document about Lee uh, Harvey Oswald in Mexico. Avardo? I don't know. Yeah, I think. Well, okay, hold on. Avardo is a, a lying double agent type deal that was said that he saw Oswald hand $6,000 to a red-haired, and it's, it's his word, Negro. Yes, 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 you're right. Nick Kennedy. Yeah, the Harvey Oswald in uh, Mexico 
CIA document release. I wish Google would just tell you who killed Kennedy. <laughs> I know they say it Lee Harvey Oswald, but I don't believe it. It really does try as hard as they can. Okay. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to uh, let my memory stew on that one. So you're good. Uh oh, just, uh, let's see. Where are you? I'm, there you I'm, are. I'm still here, but I want to give you a minute to be able to promote your links, your website as well, too. I really appreciate the time you gave me to at least, uh, you know, talk about the Walker incident and other aspects of the case. Yeah, hold on. So let me get my uh, document up here. It's called Walker Shots. Okay, and I'll be just a second. Edit. All right, now let's see if I can share my screen. Uh, let me, I got to give you sharing permission first. Okay. All right. There you All, go. Right. All right. Share. I got it. Make everything smaller because, no, not here. I have to make everything smaller here. Okay. Well, I can't. Oh, there we go. Share screen. Gotcha. All right. And I guess it's going to be this way. Does that show? Um, yep. CIA did not kill JFK.org. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So I've been doing this for five years. I've got yeah, nearly 200 posts up there. And uh, now one thing that irritates me about blogs is you can't just start reading blogs uh, from the beginning to the end. They always give you the latest blog first, right? And then you go backwards in time. That's, that's, not, that's not how I write, right? I write chronologically. So if a person goes back to the year 2020, January, and start to read, you know, it's a lot, but then they would get to present time and, and catch up. And anyway, uh, but otherwise, just read the first page, read the first one, see if it's interesting to you, read a few. Uh, I believe that I've got most of the evidence to show that uh, General Walker led a right wing uh, conspiracy in Dallas. They, they manipulated the, the uh, Dallas FBI, the Dallas uh, Secret Service, uh, Dallas uh, high-level people in the sheriff's office and in the uh, police department. And they owned uh, uh, Dallas. They could do basically anything they wanted. Put on a policeman suit, you could pr practically do anything you want. So I think that that's what happened. I mean, I put it up there with one of my... Uh top ones up there as well too I, the mafia one's like the last one for me i mean i can see rogue mafia people maybe doing it um with this connection of the cia and the relationship with the mob but who, who what name did you give the i said the mob like the rogue elements of the mob maybe oh, the rogue elements right there's, mm -hmm. there's really weird parts of and I, I know that's a vague statement because i honestly just i i think as if you said the rogue elements the cia I would talk about that the CIA institution would just have to be held responsible if it was the mob and if it was rogue elements of their agencies like agents like Harvey. The reason why I say that is the same rap JFK took for the Bay of Pigs. It wasn't JFK's fault for the Bay of Pigs, but he took the rap of it because he was the person, the president in charge, the executive chief. So when you look at um, which is I, I started looking through documents for uh, the interview with uh, Blakey, but when it comes to what they were requesting and what they were kind of looking for is more directed towards Cuba and this mafia angle. And the reason why I think this is if people think that Traficante was a double agent playing both sides. 
um, mostly because there were 643 assassination attempts on Castro and not a single one of them failed. You have to ask the question. And I mean, they were some ex specific stuff. They had to ask the question, was he getting inside help? And that's where Traficante came in. And the issue started to become Giancana's death and then Roselli's death. Two that are both suspected to be a part of Traficante's doing, giving the order to kill both of them. But even Giancana, he was the one that created the plan to kill Castro by putting poison pills in some of his food and also using Sidney Gottlieb, who was in charge of the MK Ultra project, to put some chemical in his beard to make his hair fall out. So yeah, people would yeah, see him that. So that right there is not a mafia idea. That is an intelligence thing of character assassination. The mob doesn't character assassinate, they'll just fucking straight up kill you. That's true, but you're talking about the uh, Castro, attempted Castro assassinations. You can link the CIA to the, them easily, and you can link the mob to them easily, too, because they wanted to get back into Cuba, right? So, yes, all of that is true, but I just don't, I, I can't see any connection with Dallas yet. In other words, Traficanti, sure he wanted the Kennedys to be dead, and sure he had a million dollars to give to whoever promised to do it, but that's not the same as giving the order. Because I'm saying the Dallas Police Department didn't take orders from anybody, right? And the same with the sh uh, Sheriff's Department and, uh, and the other high offices in Dallas. They did this on their own because they could, and they weren't paid. Nobody was paid. I, I believe that, but I think when we talk about the documents that aren't released, I think the reason why we might have some things that are threats to national security um, is because that relationship with the organized crime, with the mafia working with the CIA to assassinate Castro. If one of these mob guys was a double agent and did whatever and was one of these people involved in the Kennedy killing, that doesn't just open up the doors to the relationship you now have with the mob that our government does with the mob, but it opens up a whole wasp nest of crap that's going on involving the mob. In the CIA, yeah, the CIA has its hands worldwide, so obviously they're dirty. Um, but uh, the mob, I still think that the mob would have, not, not just a Traficante, think of, uh, think of the, the guy uh, that, uh, 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 David Ferry and Guy Bannister worked with there in uh, New Orleans. That mob guy, his name will come to me in a minute, sorry. Uh, Marcello? Marcello, thank you. Carlos Marcello. So he he wanted the Kennedys really dead, both of them now, today. He had a lot of money to give. And, you know, because he was related to uh, uh, Ferry and um, Banner, uh, Bannister, he, you know, he had some, you could say he had some influence. You could, might, right? But they weren't in Dallas and they didn't control anybody in Dallas either. They, in my opinion, they, the, the, the Bannister Ferry uh, operation in New Orleans was a servant of the Dallas conspiracy. Mm -hmm. They were watching Lee Harvey Oswald since March of the year. They had been watching. James Hosty was the main guy to do it. He wasn't assigned to do it. Right? When, uh, when, you, when you interview uh, J. Edgar Hoover and the assistant uh, director, they say, we didn't assign him to do that. His, his job was to watch General Walker and the KKK. That was his job. Right? 
So we don't know why he was following Kennedy, but eventually he nagged us long enough so that late in the year, we opened it up for him. Don't know why, right? Everything's got more weight than the lone nutter angle. I just can't get with that one. That's the one. The Warren Commission's official story is the one that doesn't have any weight in it for me. All no, the other true. ones, they had, have, to, they had you to, could, to lie. You could say it was fucking aliens that did it, and it would still have more weight than the Warren Commission's garbage. I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, no, they had to lie, but they had to lie, and they told us why they had to lie. They did. They said, we're going to show you this in maybe 75 years. We're locking up all these documents. You're not allowed to see them. Trust us. Yeah. Okay, let me trust you. Sure. Uh, Mr. Trejo, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk. Um, I'm going to link all your links in the description. Seriously, you're welcome back anytime. Um, I'm going to link all your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting, and thanks for listening to this episode. Bye, Blank.